0: All right, we are back for another episode of G220 Radio. This is episode number four hundred and seventy-five. Four hundred seventy-five. It is myself and Mike Miller. We are G220 Radio, and we want to thank you for tuning in to the program here tonight. Uh, continuing our series on First John, we've gone through Second John, then we went through Third John, and then we went last week through the first chapter of 1st John and today we're going to jump into the second chapter of 1st John not going to get through the entirety of it but we're going to do about half of it here today uh, on the program Mike how we doing brother
1: doing okay had some difficulties but I remember to keep my mic nearby switch it out before the show started let
0: me turn this volume down over here. I was hearing that <clears throat> echo coming in. All right. So as we said, we're going to be talking about first John here tonight. Uh, Nathaniel's not with us. So, uh, pray for him. He's a little under the weather and, uh, got some things coming up this month or not this month. Actually, this is, uh, the middle of March, but got some things coming up next month that we would love to have your prayers for. We have the flood, the sidewalk event that is just really come up on us very quickly with everything going on with the pandemic. And, um, just planning to have two flood the sidewalks this year, one in spring and one in fall, uh, was our goal. And, um, so that's right around the corner and I'm not really sure how it's going to turn out this year because one, we haven't really been doing a lot of promotion for it. And secondly, because of the pandemic, uh, I know the city of Cleveland has not been giving, um, permits for people to use amplification. People protest. People have been protesting all throughout the the year, last year, and no permits needed. Um, But every time we go to the preterm abortion center, there's usually uh, issues where the police come out and say you need permits. So pray for us. Pray for the event. Pray for what's going to be going on. uh, And pray that uh, we won't have any issues getting a permit or... um, you know, working that out. And if we don't get it to be able to, again, to work it out to where we can still put on the event, host the event, have people come and uh, <clears throat> hopefully not have any issues. So pray for us for that in mind. Other than that, Mike, any any uh, updates, any new things going on with you that you'd want to let the listeners know about? Or are you just ready to jump in?
1: Let's just jump in. I've got 17 verses. I, I voted 12 or 11. I'm just saying I'm going to put that out there. But Ricky is ambitious.
0: (laughs) Well, honestly, I didn't know you had, um, I didn't read what you had put in there. So I just thought, hey, let's do it up to 17. So we'll we'll see how it goes. Um, But we did get a little bit of extra time because uh, I shortened our introduction. I got some things going on here. We're trying to make some changes, do some some updating, and try to make uh, G220 Radio, um, the intro at least, uh, a little more. Uh, quick, <laughs> faster, uh, maybe not a whole forty-five seconds long. Uh, of yes. intro.
1: Instead of watching that line plummet from the beginning of the video to twenty seconds. Yeah. But no, I mean they should always stick around.
0: No, oh, they should. They should
1: because we've got good stuff.
0: Yes. So why don't you go ahead, Mike? Um, give us a little intro here to to First John. We 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 talked about First John last week, chapter one. Um, go ahead and give us a little uh, refresher and some intro here, and then we'll jump
1: into this uh, chapter two. So first, John, to kind of at least the, the title of the show and kind of do it is understanding our fellowship with God. And in that we saw that when we have the son, we have fellowship. And if we, are ones who seek forgiveness, we have fellowship with God. But if we lie about our position, if we don't see we need sin, and we continue to walk in, if we don't see ourselves as sinner, and we continue to claim to be in the light while we walk in the darkness, we solve that we are not in fellowship with God. We do not have fellowship with God. And that. It's the importance is not only our forgiveness, but trusting in the Savior, listening to the one whom John has proclaimed to us, and he doesn't stop there. We will see this kind of continue to bear out. And to remind our leaders or or readers that know, um, John did not put verses and chapters in his letter. So naturally, chapter 2, verse 1 flows directly out of the end of verse 10 and shouldn't be like, oh, he has a new thought now. It's like, no. The only reason we have verses and chapters is so that we can make references and we all know what we're talking about. And they have no significance outside of that. There's, they're not inspired. Um, at times, it's almost as if the guy was trying to put verses on while riding a horseback. They're just weirdly placed. and And so we should understand that. That wouldn't though he starts with my little children and that's kind of John's way of, of moving on, it's not secluded from or detached from what preceded it. although I just noticed my wife put some posters back here on the video.
0: Nice. Yeah, and I think that what you're saying there kind of plays out here in the second part of verse 1, because it says, my little children, and then it goes on and says, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Well, what things is he writing, right? What we covered in the, the first chapter and what he's going to proceed to write as well. He's writing these things. It's one, it's a collection of this writing. It's not something to be separated, as you said, and I think too often that tends to be an issue. So many times people will proof text a verse or take a verse out of context that doesn't even apply to what they're trying to apply it to because they get either confused by the fact that there's these, these uh, um, verse numbers and chapter breaks are there and they think, oh, this is a whole new, like he's starting in a whole new area. And sometimes that can confuse people. And so you got to try to read the scripture, um, understanding that it is in its entirety of the context, and then break it down little by little what you're going through. That's why, especially with books like First John here, which is a short book, um, if you could sit down, like if you're going to study it, I would encourage, and Mike, maybe you could add on to this as well, read it in its entirety, like read it the whole thing. And then come back and do some study in what you've read because now you've got the broad picture of everything that's going on in first John and how it connects. And then you can read, you know, a little bit by little by little to
1: get that that study in. I mean, I would say the same thing with Isaiah. You should just read the whole thing. You know, and then go back and study. Take the what two hours think it takes to read it. Yeah. You know, just two hours. Two hours reading the word. No, I think it's important. On um, small letters, yes, it's easier to read. But when you're studying anything, it's good to, as Greg Cokel says a lot of his show, when I used to listen to it, um, never read a Bible verse. Sure, start before and after it and get the flow of thought and the thinking with it. So you have the idea what is he going about? And that helps from us cherry picking verses. And twisting them for our own devices. And so, yeah, it's always important to read more than just what you're studying. Um, Read it in context. And that will help then also understand it because he may address things that impact how you should interpret what is going on.
0: Sorry about that pause there. I had to check something. Tristan made a comment uh, and I wanted to make sure that everybody was hearing Mike. So I had to go check the audio, um, make sure that we
1: really need to hire a producer. We do. We really do.
0: Now, when you say hire, we mean somebody that's going to work for Peanuts, like literally circus Peanuts, actually. That that would be (laughs) preferable, you know, (laughs) I mean, yeah. All right. So let's. What's that? Go ahead.
1: We can pay them and pray in admiration.
0: Yeah, there you go. There you go. But go ahead. Let's let's kick this off. Let's go ahead and read uh, some of this and uh, get into it, Mike.
1: So, John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, in his first letter, chapter two, verse one. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate Advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation of, for our sins. And not only for and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we can make, keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not practice his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him he truly In him, truly the word of God is perfected, and by this we know that we are in him. Whoever says we abide in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked.
0: Yeah. And I think um we we kind of talked about this a little bit, but I think it's very um interesting that John, when he's when he's writing this here, he says, My little children, and and I was looking this up and um even John Gill, when I was looking at his commentary on this, he says this is a phrase that's used often by Christ in the Gospels. He, you know, uh, depending on your translation, it's dear children or little children, you know, depending on which translation you're using. Um, but when you look at certain passages, you look at uh, how this is referred or used, you see Christ speak this way, and so John, being close. to, to Christ, the, the the one disciple whom he loved, right? Um, and so he's he's using this same kind of, of language. Uh, and I thought that was interesting um, in the sense that, I don't know if you do this, Mike, but I, I've done it, and I know I've seen other people do this. When they sit under a pastor, when they sit under somebody that they they've been taught by, sometimes they take on phrases and things that they say as well,
1: mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, my pastor my pastor has characteristics of John Piper, who he listens to my preaching professor at Southern. Uh, he used to be an intern for molar back in the day. He has the molar point. Um, so yeah, that's just kind of how it is. It's not intentional intimidation. Like I want to be like him to have it. That's just right. when you think and when you interact and this is important in teaching. Sitting under biblical teaching, you learn how to read the Bible as your pastor preaches. Now, you learn how to do that whoever preaches. But when we sit under good biblical preaching, you learn how to read the Bible faithfully with it. So, there is importance with that. But even to go to this, the phrase, the the term of adearmament, mm-hmm. my little children, yeah. you know, the, the aspect of John being somewhat of a father figure to this church, giving them advice, helping them out. I mean, Paul uses similar language with Timothy as a spiritual type of son. And so I think when we read this, we should feel the feel it as a father giving wisdom to his son, very much in Proverbs. And he wants his son to succeed, so he gives them this wisdom to go by. And, I mean, John tells us, I'm writing these things to you so that you do not sin. He has a clear purpose. He's writing for them so that they don't sin. I think it's very impactful to think about not only our roles as physical fathers who are Christians and our calls to raise and disciple our children in the same way, but here, John is doing it also spiritually, and there's a sense in which mature men in the church should think the same way. How can I help these less mature men to grow in faith and love and holiness? Yeah,
0: and I think it's very important for us to understand, and we're gonna, we're going to talk about this as we begin to lay out this this chapter here. But this emphasis, and John's writing this, and he says so that you may not sin, we really want to make it known that when you go back, because obviously when we go back to the chapter that we've already done in verse uh, 9 you know of chapter 1, where it talks, if you sin, if you, you confess your sin, he's faithful in justice to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. What do we hear the argumentation from those who believe in uh, oh They'll say, "Oh, you once saved, always saved individuals think you can just go on and live in sin," or those those Pelagians that'll say that. that the very angry street preachers will say, "Well, you just you guys just have a license to sin," or because you're Calvinists, you just have a license to sin. Well, that's not what we believe, and that's not what John is saying here. It, it, that when we we talked about that last week being in the present tense. If you if you confess when when you sin there if you confess he's faithful and just to forgive or forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, and here he's writing and putting this emphasis. You don't have this license to sin. I, I want you to to fight your sin, to uh, be on guard. You know, um, and and he's going to get into some practical things here. But even as we go on here in verse one, it says, "But if anyone does sin again, this just like we talked about in the last week." We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So again, in that present tense, but if anyone does sin. So John's not arguing here that we're going to be sinless perfectionists. He's saying, fight sin. Don't give in to it. You know, uh, don't just think, um, uh, what's the word, flippantly about it. Don't just think, oh, I can just ask God for forgiveness and I'm good. I mean, how many times do we hear that? From, from professing Christians like, well, God's, God's forgiving. He'll forgive me, you know? Um, and so he's fight it. Um, but if you do sin, we have an advocate. We have one who is righteous, who's paid the penalty for that sin.
1: Yeah. And I mean, even, you know, to think about that, John wants us not to sin. And both the idea that you may not sin is... And the Greek, shows the possibility. And then he follows it up with the same word, but if anyone does sin. So it's, I mean, both aorist, which is kind of a past tense idea, it's subjunctive. It, it moves a little bit differently, and but it's still that possibility. A very real, like, the if statement may You know, it has this not ideas like, well, this might be possible. It's not the if but when type of scenario. It's not if I don't sin. It's more of a matter of when. Mm. But John is telling us pursue holiness, don't sin. But he's also a realist, knowing that we still may sin, but we need to remember that we have an advocate with the father and it's his son whom we've already learned about as the one who is light and who we have fellowship with in truth back in the beginning of the verse. So we need to again remember this and the idea of what he's done for us. And now what he does before the father on our behalf as an advocate, as our mediator that brings in, all the theological ramifications, which John brings up next, the idea of yeah. propitiation. So yeah, that, and that's,
0: I was going to say, that's, that's a very important word, Mike. Why don't you explain that? And you probably was getting ready to go into that. But a very important word, because, yeah. I mean, we, we did a show in the past where uh, George and I was on the program talking to the Cleveland Street preacher, and he really just mangled what propitiation is. And I think some people have this wrong idea, but I think if we rightly understand that, and I think as Calvinist as Reformed uh, thinkers, you know, that hold a Reformed theology, if you rightly understand that, as we get into this this next chapter or next verse here, um, you really have to logically apply that if you're going to say it's in a universal sense. And we'll get into that, I guess, as you explain what what propitiation is.
1: So, simply propitiation means that God's wrath has been satisfied that he is no longer seeking judgment. It's done. It's over with. And it kind of explained it and how I explained it to my son, when we discipline him, that's the end of it. For whatever he did wrong, there is no more discipline to be had. It's done. It's over with. Now, if he does something else wrong, well, he'll get re- discipline for that. but there's not this continual idea that he may do something wrong and I might spank him four or five different times for it because I just feel like I should or something like that, kind of as an extreme example. Um, so when we say that God that Jesus is our propitiation is that he satisfied God's judgment. God is no longer looking for judgment and really what this word comes through comes down in and what we see not here in uh, the new testament as much it's only this particular word in greek only shows up here in first john and it's in two locations but it shows up in the old testament and it's connected to the day of atonement it's connected here. I'm pulling this from Krauss's commentary on First John. So Leviticus Leviticus 25:9 on the Day of Atonement. Numbers 5:8. eight, is in connection with the ram in which the people make atonement for their sins. Psalm 129, verse 4. The psalmist rejoice that God does not keep a record of his sin and there's forgiveness in him. Amos um eight fourteen is, is um Ezekiel forty four twenty seven, 27, and then you have 2nd um, Maccabees, which is not part of the New Test- Old Testament. Um, there's a variant in Dan 9, 9. And so there's this idea of appearing, finding the sinner, or expiation, and appeasing God's wrath. Those are kind of what done is with guilt removed. And so when we think of kind of this idea, this is propitiation, is that God is no longer angry at us. This is how the Old Testament, and when you think about the Day of Atonement, that's what it's about. It's the one time in which the uh, high priest enters the Holy of Holies two times. First to make atonement on his sin, and then again to come as cleansed to make atonement for the people. And he comes to the mercy seat, again, where he comes before. And if done rightly, God's wrath is satisfied from the people for the next year. Obviously, this looks forward to when Christ dies for our atonement. And here appeals now his wrath for our sins and to note that here when john goes cuz he does it, he says it we're we'll have to deal with it not only for our sins but also for the sins of the world now the question is what does john mean here for world john doesn't make it easy for us cuz he uses world in different ways he uses it as like a temporal location this world this earth and we'll see later on he uses it about the bad things the things that are opposed to god John doesn't really help us. I think what we can say and to do with this is that when God says he also, um, a perpetuation for the sins of the whole world is not in the sense that all people, this includes all people. That would be universalism. And it would kind of neglect everything John has already said if god has if jesus has appealed the wrath for all people then all would in theory be saved so it can't mean that kind of think through it and kind of the kind of the best way to think about it is that john here is making just a general statement about people that jesus has made atonement kind of in general for all people, but that the application has not been applied to some people. That's kind of how I think about it. I think you see the same thing. I think he is using world in the same way we see world being used in John 3.16. Yeah. And kind of that idea. Again, even John makes that distinction, that those whom Jesus has saved, and then those who are already condemned. And so it's not specific, but broad. Um, in that sense. And but again, John uses worlds so often in different ways, the word cosmos here, that it is kind of hard to nail down exactly what John is trying to refer on. We can we can make it educated guess, I think. That's what we see, but that's not you know it's it is kind of hard to to fully nail down what we think he is saying.
0: Yeah, I, I, I believe what he's saying there is world referring to in a in a general sense, because here you have John who's a Jew, he's he's an Israelite writing to Israelites, writing to Jews, and therefore when this, this is going out here, it's kind of like in, in John 10, we see him talk about, I have sheep, or Christ says, and John's recording this in this his gospel, that I have sheep that are not of this fold, right? And so yeah. there's you're, you're writing to other Jews and you're stating to them that there are others. It's not just to us only, us who've been keeping this for all these many, many centuries here and years. This is going out to... The whole world. This is going out to the farthest reaches, as you see in, in Revelation, to the four corners of the earth. We're going out to make disciples, right? And so, world in that sense, referring to there's more than just the Jews here, more than just only the nation of Israel. Um, but I think, as you said, with propitiation being the satisfaction of God's wrath, if if you take that logically. And this is why it doesn't fit with the universal kind of understanding. Uh, If you take that logically to mean the whole world has been that Christ satisfied the wrath of God for the whole world, well, then that's it. Everybody's going to be saved. You you can't get around that logically because even if you say, well, they have to believe because they're unbelief. Well, unbelief is a sin. So if, if Christ satisfied the wrath for everyone, for all of their sins, And unbelief is sin. So therefore you would have to fall in that universal. And thankfully our brothers who are not reformed or Calvinistic would, are not, that that don't hold to universalism. We can consider them brothers because they're trusting in Christ by grace through faith. Um, But if you don't take this, uh, if you take this to that logical conclusion, you, you basically are forced and end up being a universalist.
1: Yeah. And I mean, universalists use this verse. Obviously, it's very much um there. And I think that's why we need to clearly understand well, what is he talking about? And how is it if working? And you know, cosmos is a common word. And and so it takes the time. You have to take the time. I mean, verse 15. Do not love the world and the things of the world. He's, I'm repeating it. Now he's using a different definition. Because um, it would kind of be weird if, if he died for the sins of the world, which is against him. You know, th- you know that doesn't uh, match up. And this is where word studies are important. Um, especially trying to understand how a certain author tends to use um, words throughout his corpus, if you can um yeah with it but it's still when we think about it i mean this should provide us great hope that we have an advocate with the father and that his wrath has been satisfied i mean so that cause rejoicing which is why we should rejoice when paul mentions in romans 5 1 or Romans 8, 1, now that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus.
0: Yeah, amen.
1: That God's wrath has been satisfied and that we can come before him um, with our prayers, that we can see him as the one who can save us, that he is just, that yeah. he is righteous.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And back to the reference when you was talking about propitiation and explaining it to your son, um, and we're, we're trying to teach your chil- you're trying to teach your child to understand this is what's going on here, but we have to also recognize that when Christ is satisfying that wrath, it's not oh well now you sin later now it's mm-hmm. not paid for. In in yeah. this sense, I mean, Christ has satisfied; He is the sacrifice once for all. You know he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He's the one that brings, like, you know, leads us and guides us into into all sanctification. Um, and so, it is his work, as it says in Ephesians two ten, we are his worksmanship that he is bringing to completion. You know, um, at, at the end of, of the age, when we are uh, called to to the Father, whether it's through death or his return, um, we will then be glorified with him, that whole Romans, that, that chain of redemption, you know, Romans eight. Uh, and so that's something I want to make sure that people understand. Like, this is not like some people would say, well, yeah, you satisfied his wrath now, but if you sin again, then therefore you lose that.
1: And I don't, and I don't, and John's not making that argument. Yeah. Mine was just strictly right. An illustration. Right. Right. It falls short because I'm, I mean, my son's taken his punishment, not someone else. But, and I think it's funny, because even when you consider and move on, you know, again, he brings up this idea of knowing and f- kind of fellowshipping and obedience. We've already kind of mentioned it with it. So we can't say, you know, as we said, earlier that we just keep on sinning. I mean, obviously Paul rejects this. Jesus clearly rejects this. You know, you know, put your hands on the plow and look back. The idea of in you know Exodus, they are saved, but their longing to go back is shown as unbelief in and sign. And John's kind of really pushing that idea that you know kind of accumulation of john 13 14 and 15 when kind of jesus is about to leave they're on their way to the garden he's about to give his high priestly prayer in verse 7 in chapter 17 again these themes come up if you love me you obey my commandments if you know me you obey my commandments that I mean, Jesus has this. And John's just not one. We have it kind of, John repeats this idea a lot. But even consider the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talking to his disciples in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And he ends the Sermon on the Mount with the guy who builds his house on the rock, who listens and builds his house on the rock, and the one who doesn't, who's like the one who builds his house in the sand. And so even there, Jesus is like, well, if you're going to listen to me, you're going to obey me. And that passage comes after the fact that he's said that some will come to me, Lord, Lord, did I do this, and he's with them. So even Jesus throughout his ministries in the other gospels show this idea that if we're to come to Christ, there's obedience, there is no separation between forgiveness and righteousness that they're combined the lordship salvation kind of idea is right you can't get a christ you can't just find forgiveness and then find him as your lord that when you come to him you bid your allegiance to follow him
0: yeah and I think it's very important that people understand as well. And I think we, we spoke on this. I don't know if it was last week or it was during this series, I believe. But uh, this idea that, yes, if, if, you, if you really love Christ, as, as we already brought up Ephesians 2.10, the Bible says you're saved by grace through faith, and it's not of your works, but you will do works that God has pre- prepared beforehand for you to walk in them, Right. And as you brought up, you know, you go to Matthew, those who go before God and they're not, he tells them, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You didn't, you didn't follow my law. You were just lawless. You were rebellious. You didn't obey me. Oh, excuse me. That's, it's clear. If you love Christ, you will keep his commandment. You will obey Christ. And that's why I think it's, it's very important as you're reading this and understanding, we're not speaking of sinless perfection here. Because when we when we do fall, when we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father who is Jesus Christ the righteous. He, he's, he's faithful and just to cleanse us of all of all our sin. But also, this is like, uh, it's been said that 1 John is a series of tests. If you read through this, you can say, okay... Is my life displaying this? Am I walking in the light or am I walking in darkness? Do I love my brethren or do I hate my brethren? These, these tests, am I being obedient to Christ? Am I, um, as we get into this new commandment that he gives, are we doing these things? But the one thing you have to be sure of that John is not speaking about and nobody else in scripture is speaking about, when we're saying, if you love me, you keep my commandments, that you take those commandments and you take those laws, you take your obedience as the earning of your salvation or the earning of uh, furthering yourself in the kingdom. You have to look to Christ. Always look to Christ. These are evidences. And so if you don't display these, if you're not displaying love for your brother, if you're not walking in the light, if, if you're struggling with, with not uh, these, these tests that are laid out here, then you have to ask yourself that question that Paul tells us, examine yourself. To see if you're really in the faith. But if you are seeing these evidences in your life, you know, as we when we get to the end, the, he writes these things so that you may know you have this life, that you have this assurance. So you can you can look to these things as evidence, but don't look to these things as the means by which is giving you righteousness before God. Always look to Christ.
1: Yeah. And and the foundation, because the alternative. In verse four, is that you don't keep his commandment? You're saying, I mean, you're basically saying you're a liar. So if you claim to be following Jesus and you don't walk in the light, you don't walk in his commands, as verse six says, don't abide or reside the language there you're you're a liar i mean and just think think of the weight of that and when you do it that you claim to be something you're not and that should be it and so you can't have you you hear it uh today a lot and just in pulper popular culture and, and liberalism they they want the Jesus of the Bible and they've kind of stripped Jesus of all that he is the um Bart Erdman, the jesus seminar people um mocker um a German theologian kind of dubbed named the um the father of modern liberalism and you have um others with them look they they claim to have jesus but they taught against what he said yeah and they lied they're liars If you claim to be a Christian and you do not walk in the light, you're a liar. You're a liar. You're claiming to be something you're not. I can't be walking around Louisville saying, yeah, I'm a Wimbledon champion. I'm a liar. And this is the same thing. And so that's the importance kind of of obedience it's to use justify in a way that is not theological but it justifies your walk it testifies to your walk it's not the means in which you are justified in the theological construct this is what James talks about that your good works your obedience proves or justifies your faith it shows you that you have faith this is john's way of saying it look if you don't walk in the commandments you don't have the faith you don't have the faith of abraham abraham believed and it was counted to him righteousness how do we know he believed we saw his life was it perfect no but he believed when god told him to sacrifice his son on a mountain He believed that God would raise him up again. Abraham believed it was counted to him righteousness. This is John's way of saying, look, if you believe, you will follow what God has commanded. It's what Israel said they would do and failed. But now we have an advocate. We have the spirit within us. We have the power of God to do what only he can do in us. These are beautiful truths to call us and spurn us to great holiness as we are confirmed into the image of Christ.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So as we we move into this next section here, um, verse 7, let's see. I just want to read 7 through 14, and then we'll come back and talk about some of this here. We got uh, verse 7, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment but an old commandment that you have And does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you And you have overcome the evil one. I got to get a drink, man.
1: Yeah, I mean, here he starts off. He used beloved. That's John's kind of favorite word. Um, Little children, beloved. Again, shows his... um, Yeah, just shows his... Love for the people. He wants them to go. And he states I'm writing you no new command, but an old command that you've heard from the beginning. So, as John has taught these things, as John has been with them and has brought them up in the faith, he has taught them this command. It's not new. This is the same thing Jesus taught him. Jesus said, they'll know if you're disciples if you love one another. So how do we know we're Jesus' disciples? Well, we obey his commands, and one of those commands is the love for the brethren. So we're to walk in a way that obeys Christ's commands, what he has given to us, which we probably should address it's not just what he said, because he's only building upon the law already established, but that it is the all commands, the law that has been given. Paul talks about this in, in Revel in, not Revelation in Romans. And so John is not giving him a new command. It's an old command. That we're to love our neighbors. And yeah, it's a new command because this new command is to, to love the brethren. So there's this kind of a shift a little bit. We're to love our neighbors, we're to be like the Good Samaritan, but even more so, we should love fellow Christians in our church. Because if we don't, we walk in darkness, which means we don't have fellowship with God which means we go to the place in which sinners go to. And so the love for the brethren is very important, especially because it's part of Christ's bride. It's the church. You should love the people whom Christ loved and died for, gave his life for.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Amen. I don't have anything to add there. My throat's a little raspy right now. So we can move on.
1: And so I guess moving on to the verse 12. Verse 12 through 14. I don't know if you, Ricky's, had this issue with this verse. This has always been kind of the section of verse. Like, I don't know what to do with it. It seems out of place it seems like John just kind of like shifted a little bit and then he's going to get back to where he's going. Now, a problem with that is that this is inspired by God. So whatever John is doing, the spirit wants him to do it. And I don't mean is that, has that been your kind of experience kind of dealing with verses 12
0: through 14? Yeah. I mean, if I was, Obviously, I'm not uh, an inspired writer of Scripture, but just thinking the way that I would write, I probably would have just put them all like to the children, to the fathers, and then just laid it out. Um, but yeah, it, it is a section where it's like, okay, I am writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for His namesake. And so, again, I think when we look at that, we go back to what's being said in, in the verse 1, my little children, he's talking about saints, he's talking about believers, the brethren here, Hmm. and that should give us comfort, knowing that as brethren, as the children of God, right, not everybody's a child of God, but those who by faith have put their faith in, or by faith come to Christ, are children of God. Um, Your sins are forgiven, you're you're cleansed, you are no longer in bondage, you are free in Christ. So that's there. And then you go into, uh, I am writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning, who is from the beginning. I mean, in the beginning, that was just from the beginning. He's speaking about Christ, He's speaking about Christ, who is God. Even when you go back to John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. And then you go all the way back to Genesis. In the beginning, God creates everything. And the Father, the Son, and the Spirit is creating all things, right? And so this is, you you uh, know him who is from the beginning, I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Uh, And I don't know, I guess I would take that there, because you've talked about there's darkness here, um, and those that are blinded by the darkness. Um, We know that that song always comes to mind, Amazing Grace. I once was blind, but now I see God opens the eyes of the blind. And so you've overcome this this evil one. Uh, I write to you, children, because you know the Father... Um, I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning again. Yeah. It's kind of like, it's kind of like he's repeating himself. Just like saying things mm-hmm. here where I don't know. It, it, it can be a little like trying to figure out what's going on.
1: Yeah. Um, this again from Krauss. Um, but there's actually, and Krauss explains this very well in his book, Pillars the pillar series of the letters of John that verses twelve through fourteen is a transition from kind of the beginning of chapter two into now what he's going to start dealing with here in in verse fifteen. And it starts with again, little children, um, the spiritual the ones who are spiritually younger is how he takes it. I don't see reason not to. Um, although John could be referring to little children um, that are in the church, but I think he's writing to the little children who are young in the faith, the children, the younger believers, ones who have not been believers very long, and reminding them, look, your name, your sins have been forgiven. For the namesake. And then fathers. To remind them. That they know. The son. Young men. Again kind of. Referencing maybe that. Again younger. A little immature. Or younger Christian. You've overcome the evil one. And then repeating it. Leading up to. That. They're strong, the word of God abides in you. You've overcome the evil one. So don't love the world and of its things because it's against God. And so you you have this, this push to understand our position as Christians. What we are, we're redeemed sinners. We have overcome the evil one. The word of The word of God abides or dwells or um, remains in us. We have overcome the evil one who blinds the darkness, who blinds the people of this age. And we have overcome them by the power of the spirit in salvation when he saves us. So that gives us and drives us to, do not love the world or the things in this world because the love of the father is not in them and the people and people who do that and to give us to overcome again here he changes the definition of world to talk about things and systems opposed to god and the father and i think that's making that build up and reminding kind of the the staccato the the citato, um, method the little shorts bump 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 in music, um, you know the reputation it gets us to the point and to think about it to stop and and change up into okay, and then now he's ready to let's go. And now that we understand our position in Christ, let's start moving forward.
0: Yeah. You know, going back to the the section between 12 and 14 there, um, because as you was bringing that out, I really never thought about it this way, but like that really is now standing out to me as you was explaining that, you know, uh, like I think it's, it's addressing everybody within the body, the commonality. You have Hmm. young new believers, as you said, you have fathers, people who've been in the, the, the faith for a longer time, And then you have these strong believers, these ones that are just bold and strong and then are out there, uh, you know. So you have this diversity within the body. Everybody's not at the same place in their walk, but yet there's a commonality. They're all equal in the eyes of God, and they're all forgiven, and they're all receiving all the grace that God gives to all of us, right, Uh, and the gifts that God gives, uh, all the spiritual blessings that are in heaven, heavenly places, and so that really, that, that's really, uh, you know, thinking about that there, like, man, that really started to pop out to me as you was, you know, kind of going through that. But yeah, in this next section here where it says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and this ESV that I have says the pride of in possessions. Uh, I'm always going back to my KJV uh, remembrance of this, the pride of life, you know, Not in my ESV. I don't know what ESV you're reading. Well, it's one I picked up today at the thrift (laughs) store. So I I actually said this to my wife when we was driving home, or we stopped at the store to get some stuff for dinner. And I I told her when she came back out, I said, this is the pride of possessions here. That's kind of, you know, like, I want to say pride of life,
1: you know. They must have changed that in the 2016 text edition.
0: Yeah, I'll have to look and see which one this is. But uh, I picked it up for another street Bible. But anyways, <clears throat> so the pride of life, pride, pride in possessions, it says, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And so this idea, as you, as we, you kind of brought it out earlier, but this idea that, you know, when, when somebody's like, oh, see, Jesus loves the world, for, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son— it would kind of be contradictory if world meant every single person because mm-hmm. if, if that's what it always means every time, here he's saying, don't love the world. So God loves the world, but don't love the world. It would seem kind of contradictory. So there has to be... More, that's why when you look at the word world throughout Scripture and all the different uses, you see that it's it's referring to different things at different times. And many times within the Jews when we're talking about the world, it was referring to the Gentile nations or the pagan nations, the others that were not Jews uh, as well. And so um, I think when you look at it in that sense, that it's referring to the general consensus of everyone out there. Um, And then here it's talking about the system. Don't love the things of this world, the system that uh, we're under uh, because it's desires of the flesh, the eyes and the pride of life these things lead to destruction. Don't get wrapped up in these things. And I think we can honestly state, as we have in the past, that even though we believe someone who is truly saved will persevere to the end because it is God preserving them unto the end, but yet the Scripture still gives warning passages. And John's saying, these things, you know, uh, don't love the world. don't Don't seek after these things. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. It goes back to what we were saying earlier. If you say that you, you're doing these things and you're not keeping his, his commands, you're a liar, you know?
1: Yeah. And I think, I mean, John here still isn't saying anything new, you know, in total of Scripture. I mean, Paul repeatedly talks about not loving the world and, and the, the system of the world. And in it, and I just looked it up. So according to the, the BDAG um, Greek lexicon, there are like eight major definitions of this word. So again, this word is vastly used. It it holds different ways with it. And, you know, but here John is clear in what he's talking about. For all the things that is in the world, the desires of the flesh the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is all things that kind of put the focus away from God. It's what we see kind of for a lack of better, better words. It's worshiping the creatures instead of the creator. It's to, desire things more than God. And so, I mean, it's always fascinating. And you see these and people make big deals out of them. But I do find it fascinating that kind of quote-unquote the people who are less anxious based on how much they make are people who make just enough to you know, be within means. They'll have a little extra spending cash and whatnot. They're not the super poor and they're not the rich, quote unquote, which in America is deceiving because the poor are still rich, according to most of the world. But if we want to use those like American categories, those kind of in the lower class and those in the upper class, it's those who are in the middle class that are most satisfied which is i think testament of what we see in the bible not that i think surveys validate what the bible has to say i think they just they show evidence that the bible's true and exactly kind of what ecclesiastes says like if you read ecclesiastes what is solomon doing He's going after all these things. I didn't keep my hands for all the possessions. I didn't keep, I desired to do all that I wanted to do. He does all these things. And in the end, what does he come up to with? Love God. Obey yeah. God. And and that's where we get the, what's the chief of man to glorify God. and um, I messed it up, whatever, but, That's what it is. And the reason why we shouldn't love the things of this world, the pride of possessions, is because the world's going to pass away. John tells us this in Revelation. As he's inspired, the world will pass away. What we know of right now of the earth will pass away. The Nicene Creed talks about that we look for the life to come in the new world and to, to consider that all of this will be burned with fire, purified and given back to us who believe and then heaven will come down and we will dwell with God forever on this earth. Mm-hmm. should really make us say, well, yeah, I shouldn't worry about what I own, what I have money, what I can see, what can I get? Because in the end, it's those who obey the ones who do the will of God, who are sanctified by his spirit. They're the ones who will remain forever. On this earth.
0: Yeah. And just to, um, before we close it out here, uh, speak a little bit more about this word world. Um, I was actually looking for a couple passages uh, because we see this used. I I actually was just in a conversation with a Hebrew Israelite a couple weeks back, and he said, You know, the the gospel's got to go out to all the world. And I said, You don't believe it's gone out to the world? I said, Paul seems to think it did. You know, in Romans 1, he speaks about it. I think in Corinthians, he speaks about it. But as I was looking for those, I came across uh, John 17. And Jesus says, now, so John 3, for God so loved the world. Here we're reading, do not love the world. John 17 in verse, um, let's see here, verse 6, it says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. So a a people that was given by the Father to Christ out of the world. You can go all the way back to John 6, where he says that no one can come unless the Father draws them, or all that the Father has given to Christ. But then in verse 9, Jesus says, I am praying for them. So of these people that have been given to him, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. So just, just giving you that to show you there there is those contexts. As Mike said, there's eight different ways the word world is used in Scripture. So that is why it's important that we read things in its context, that we try to understand what the context is saying. And as we've kind of tried to establish here in this book, the way that John's using it, he's bouncing around with it. So we have to try to really be discerning to figure it out. What is he saying?
1: Yeah, and and I think that's just that's the difficulty of of Bible study. We can think about even like working through these passages. Now it's been a while since I've gone through First John. We've done study school. I have somewhere sentence diagramming of every single one of these sentences from a uh, Greek class and and thinking through these issues. And while John is some of the easiest Greek to to read and, and even to understand, again he's still writing in Greek. He's still we're doing this translation. And it should drive us to become better students so we can find these nuances and understand them. And that's rightly dividing the word of truth because we use similar words all the time and we know their context. You know, I can say look in the trunk and for the most part, people are probably going to either think of their car depending on their circumstances, or maybe they're an attic and they saw an old trunk and they may think of that. And so that's just that. That isn't, but I could be talking about a tree trunk or some other, you know, swimming trunks. You know, just go look at the trunks, something like that. And so that's why I think it's hard for us. It's easy for us to assume we know what John is saying. But again, with like commonality of the world the world and how it's used and if you have a literal translation that won't help you with these nuances because they want to try to be as close to the original intent of the word, you know, you have to study these things and and to think about it, to dwell and to consider it within all of scripture. What are they trying to say? Because again, we see the word cosmos here and it's not the same. It's not used in the same way. Yeah. As we saw earlier.
0: And I, and I want to emphasize to the to the to the the listeners, those who are are, are watching, that we can trust what our Bible says in English. Mm-hmm. You you can take it and you can read it and trust it. But as you're digging in, you know, I've heard pastors, especially from the independent fundamentalist kind of crowd, um, and I love our brothers and sisters who are truly genuine brothers and sisters who are are within that. But I've heard some say we don't need that Greek. We got it all right here in in English. And again, I want to emphasize that in English, we can trust the Word of God. We can trust that this is God's words translated to us in our language, and we can believe what it says. But as you're studying, it does help to look at those words, because even with the word love, there's there's different meanings as to how that's used. With the word world, as we're speaking through that, there's different ways that the the, the, the word can be used. And so you want to try to do your best to be a student of the scriptures, to, to study to show yourself approved, you know, um, being able to really look and dig into it. Um, you know, I, I hear... I've, I've interacted with 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 a, an individual who has stated, you know, like we don't need to get deep in this. We just need the simple simplicity of the truths from God's word. And I agree that we believe in the simplicity of God. We we believe that God's word. We can understand it and we can read it and and grow in it as believers. But I think it's it's kind of lazy to think that we don't need to dig in. I just read it and I'll just get a little bit out of it. But I'm not really going to dig into it, right? How do we know who God is by reading his word, by digging into his word and studying to, to see who he is from his word? How do we find out what it is we are to do? How, what, what laws do we need to obey? I heard a dispensationalist say this one time uh, in a Sunday school class, the Ten Commandments don't apply to us. You know, you don't, you don't give the Ten Commandments to Christians. I asked afterwards, I said, do you ever counsel anybody on sin? And I said, when you ask, I said, what is sin? And he literally didn't know the answer. And I'm like, it's this is not a trick question. Like the Bible says sin is lawlessness. So what law are you breaking? If, if you have a Christian who's committing adultery, you have a Christian who's, who's idolatrous or lying or stealing from their, their employers or whatever they're stealing. Do you not counsel them on those things because the Ten Commandments doesn't apply? No, we we got to understand what's being stated in its Word. That's why it's good to read in its context the entirety of a book and ultimately the entirety of the whole Scriptures, but obviously you're not going to be able to read that in one sitting, right? So you read through it. But if you can sit down and read a book at a time, you get the broader context, and then you can break it down, and it gives you a better understanding.
1: I think, too, to remember the writer of Hebrews, whoever you may that believe, chastises his readers because they weren't growing deeper. I mean, and Paul does it elsewhere well, um, in, in Corinthians. I think we should take that seriously. That that these people i mean in hebrews hebrews chapter six they're supposed to be teachers but he has to teach them the elementary doctrines of the faith they're they're not growing and to to have that idea is to as i just need to to like do my devotions things and go on like that is it that's not the heart of someone that meditates both day and night it's not the understanding that the kings were to have, that they were to write the law down so that they know it and to obey it. And we don't get special revelation in the way it was. We have the book given to us in much, in which way is much better than what others had. But there's still that, that growth that we're to search... The scriptures, where to know them and to do them. Because there's a lot there. And we're sinful human beings and we forget things. We need to be reminded. It's good for us to be reminded and to continue to grow and to know. I mean, Ephesians. What is Paul's prayer to the Ephesians after he gets done with one of the longest sentences ever? And verses 3 through 14, he prays that they know the love of God better, deeper. They know the strength of God better. Well, how do you know that? You know that by studying. How do you walk in the commandments of Christ? You do that by studying. And so we should be a people who study.
0: Yeah. I'm actually looking at this uh, verse cuz <clears throat> now I'm curious why they put that in cuz this is from Crossway. And yes. and I'm like my other Crossway doesn't say that. So I'm looking it up and and the the note on Bible Gateway says it's pride of life, but it says when you click on it, it says or pride in possessions. So um I'm just curious why one Crossway says life and the other Crossway the same Publisher, same, you know, putting it out says. Uh,
1: Let's say they decided to change the text and yeah. put out a new edition. You really, there's like, for all of our listeners out there who would like to know, Crossway, the ESV has like four, four, five text editions. Two thousand one, I think two thousand seven, two thousand eleven, and two thousand sixteen. So two thousand one, two thousand. 7 eleven, two thousand sixteen, 2016 and you can find it in the front of your book what text edition it is your bible
0: yeah it's
1: 2001 yeah so so they I mean they must have changed it uh fairly early
0: well I'm trying to think who the other like I only have ESVs from Crossway but I know there's another company that, that put out
1: ESV Crossway owns, owns the oh, ESV it, translation it, okay yes
0: I don't know what I'm thinking then. Cause, um,
1: if it's another company who publishes it, they bought the rights to publish it from Crossway. Yeah, I'm
0: going to have to look that up. Cause I remember seeing another, uh, uh, I don't know. Anyways, we're getting into some things here. Like kind of, this is more like an after show show kind of conversation, but, uh, we'll let you go. Cause you've been on the program for a while and that's G220 radio. We've gone a little bit longer than normally. Um, just a few, few minutes over, but, uh, That's G220 Radio. God bless and good night.